0: Showtime!
1: This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You're going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And it is intercepted! Intercepted! And Every story.
0: So we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys? It's going to be built class. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner. Justin Hopkins and Matt Bagley from 961 580 the game. Hi everybody, back after a little bit of a hiatus. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins uh, alongside you. Uh, we'll have Hit Leday from Addicted to Quack and QB11 from the Scoop Duck Boards in a couple of minutes. But first, I gotta point something out. We make fun of fans that freak out. That, that have this chicken little, sky is falling, panic mode thing, they get a lot of run on this podcast. I have to admit, two-game losing streak, I'm thinking like those fans today. The sky is falling. How, how are you feeling, J-Hop?
2: Uh, so you're yeah, if you're chicken little, I don't know what that makes me. But, uh, <laughs> no, I uh, you know, it's, it's not ideal. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to see, you know, I know Oregon fans, you're, you entered the season, uh, whether it was a regular season or a COVID season, you know, not with seeing this team at three and two. And, and I get that. I wholeheartedly agree. And the unfortunate thing for Mario Cristobal is his jobs ultimately determined on wins and losses, regardless of the other things that he does. Wins and losses are, are going to trump just about everything else. So when you look at it on paper and you see that Oregon's three and two. You know, fans are a little bit dejected. There's a little bit of panic. There's a little bit of what's going on. These guys aren't developing. These guys aren't progressing. And, uh, you know, so, you uh, you know, for me, I started looking at it was like, OK, how much of that is, you know, is false expectations? How much of that, you know, should we deem concerning? You know, how much of that is a direct relation to COVID and the wild year that we're experiencing in college football? Um, and again, and, and I know that it's something that, uh, that our friend Hitler has said a lot, and I've said it on the board several times this week. If, if you're looking at finding just one reason why one, one thing it's not there, it's not just one thing. I mean, it's a number of things. It's, you know, the lack of conditioning, it's the youth on this football team. It's the inexperience. It's the lack of time to develop. It's, you know, it's just so many different the opt-outs, uh, you know, I don't, I, the list goes on and on. It, it's all those things. And I know everybody hates the you know, the, the Mark Helfrich million little things, but it it really is. It's, it's fair. It's, it's accurate. And it's just, it's just what it is. And uh, you know, I know from week one, I've basically called this a glorified intramural season. Mm -hmm. I felt that's the case. I still think that's the case. It doesn't make it any less uh, painful for Oregon fans, but I will say this, you know, unless Oregon had won the national championship, Everybody at the end of the season, I know not right now. We still got a couple of games left, a game, whatever the case might be. I know right now everybody won't say this, but at the end of the season, unless Oregon won a national championship, everybody would have said, well, that season didn't count anyways. And that's fair. I mean, that's, you know, but it's still fun. It's still distracting. I'm still enjoying the season. I'm glad we've got something. And I think that this, this year serves as an ultimate learning tool for Mario Cristobal, his coaching staff, and his very young football team.
0: You talk about this year as a learning tool for for Coach Cristobal and staff. What do you think he learned in twenty twenty? You know, I, I think that if
2: if I'm just guessing, if him and I were sitting here talking and enjoying a glass of milk, I know he doesn't drink, so he can have a glass of milk, and I'll have the beer. But you know, if we were sitting here talking openly, not on a record, not in a public forum, right. you know, I, I think he would really appreciate, and I know he already does, but he would appreciate the importance of culture, the importance of the strength and conditioning program, because I don't really think that the strength and conditioning program, was able to do what it normally does every year. And I think you're seeing that in, you know, normally Oregon in the third and fourth quarter would be wearing down opponents and just having its way. You're not seeing that this year. They weren't able to, to condition the same way, they weren't able to prepare the same way. I think you're seeing that advantage neutralized here. I think he would uh, reiterate the importance of culture, uh, you know, the importance of leadership on the team, of having that leadership council that he speaks about. I think those are a couple of things that are absent this year. And I'm sure he's going to work on on getting those things on track for next season. But, uh, you know, I, I think those are a couple of things that come to mind. And, uh, you know, I, there's no way that he can go and replace the amount of talent he lost last year. Mm-hmm. You had a number of guys that were four or five-year players, uh, you know, a lot of leaders, Winston, Dye, Holland. You know, obviously then you added to it with Holland opting out early, Brady Breeze not coming back, Panay Sewell opting out. Uh, and it's something I pointed out on the board. If you play Madden or you play College Football two thousand twenty or whatever your your football game is on PS four or five or Xbox or whatever, and you go and you're you know you've got a, a left tackle, let's say that's a ninety eight overall, and he gets hurt, and you've got to replace him with the sixty five overall. Well, clearly you know what happened there, and that you're not nearly as good at that position in your in your game. It's it's the same for Oregon. I mean, you can't replace a Panay Sewell, which ultimately forced Oregon to start playing uh, Ryan Walkmore and no disrespect to him. But you went from a 98 to a 65, essentially, on your offensive line. Right. And uh, you know, those things hurt. So I, I think that in a nutshell, that's probably what he would glean from this season. Uh, if, if any last thing on that, if anybody thinks that it's time to push the panic button and blow this whole thing up and, and start from, uh, start from scratch, I think you're dead wrong. I think you're dead wrong. It's, it's minor tweaks moving forward. It's establishing the culture. It's the leadership. And a lot of those things have to do with not being able to do the retreats, and those types of things because of, once again, a weird-ass COVID year.
0: Yeah, you cite the difference on the offensive line without Panay. That's glaring. Uh, I, I had a guest on my radio show last week who who said he felt completely vindicated after seeing the, the first four games of the year in saying that Panay was the unquestioned best player in college football. I couldn't deny that. I couldn't attack that at all. I I agreed with him. But I'm also reminded his difference is vast. I think the difference at quarterback is also really an underrated aspect of this team in 2020. And it's not a knock on Tyler Shuck. I think he has the world's potential. And, And I talk to a lot of people that have watched practice or are connected to people that watch practice just like you are. That tell me Tyler Shuck is doing everything right, but I think that just he doesn't have enough reps yet. And, and there's an awareness, and there's a, a football IQ that I think he's going to develop, or at least can develop, as he gets more reps under his belt. But right now, he doesn't have it. He has to earn it, and I think Oregon is seeing some growing pains because of it.
2: Oh no question. I, I mean, I don't. I don't think it's time to to push the panic button on Tyler Shuck and 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 indict him as a as a college football quarterback. He, I mean, right now, you and I are recording this is December seventh. Okay, Oregon Oregon played its first game November seventh mm-hmm. a month ago. That was Tyler Shuck's first start. And and for me, it's something that I'd mentioned. You know, last week heading into the Cal Game, not on the podcast, but on the site. You know, he hasn't played especially well on the road. And, you know, you've only had a couple road games. It's hard to get your bearings there. And I don't care if there's fans there or not. It's different. It's different. You're in a different city. You're traveling, different locker room. Everything's different, okay? The way you prepare, the way you get ready, the way, you know, just it's different. And so, you know, the the absence of fans, sure, maybe that has some impact on it, but it doesn't change that. It's not like, oh, it's suddenly a, a home away from home. That's not the case. It's still a road game. And, and I, I think we've seen some bright spots. From Tyler Shuck I think we've seen some uh, moments he'd like to have back I think we've seen some moments where his offensive line probably hasn't done done him any favors uh, I don't see a horrible quarterback and and it's it's completely unfair to compare him you know to a four-year Justin Herbert as a first-year Tyler Shuck it's unfair I mean I think if you compared first-year Justin Herbert to first-year Tyler Shuck, if you want to make that comparison, uh, I'm sure Hitler Day has charted it probably better than myself, but I'd say it's probably really close. Yeah. And this is in a weird-ass pandemic when he didn't even get the benefit of spring ball. So, um, you know, I, there's a lot to like there. I know there's a quarterback controversy in terms of fans' eyes of not giving Anthony Brown a shot, uh, this or that. But, uh, again, if you're going to roll with it, Anthony Brown's not going to be at Oregon for the next three years. Tyler Shuck, you know, can and could be you know, I, I think there's a a level of, you know, thinking in Mario Cristobal's mind to start trying to play as many young guys as you can get game film, take some, take some, uh, take some chances, see what sticks, see what doesn't. and, And then, uh, you know, hopefully you get a regular spring and a regular summer and you can really, uh, you know, iron out some of those kinks. This is again, in my mind, I know it's hard to say, but this is free football. I mean, this is free football for Oregon, for everybody else. Um, you know, one of the comparisons I I see, and I I think it's lazy is, you know, Oregon's got more talent, you know, well, okay. Yeah. You go down the list and and you you disregard their class, whether they're a freshman or or a senior and you compare it to Cal or whoever. And yeah, Oregon as a star rating has more talent, but you're going to sit here and tell me that uh, a, a three-star true freshman Marcus Mariota was better than a, you know, fourth year Marcus Mariota at, quarterback. No, it's not a fair comparison. He was obviously a Heisman, uh, you know, in his three or four years at Oregon getting to that point, but he wasn't as a true freshman and he was a three star. So you go and take somebody on Cal's team that, you know, might've come in as a, as a, as a three-star or a low four-star or something and has developed for three or four years. You know, chances are, if they play linebacker, they might better be better today than Noah Sewell, who's a five-star and that's not a knock on Sewell. He's had three or four or five years to develop Noah Sewell's had about six weeks, you know, my, before the season. So again, you're not comparing apples to apples. I think it's a lazy comparison. I think Oregon's headed the right way, but yeah, there's been some bumps in the road, and and, and we'll just have to see, you know, how the rest of the se- season plays out. If it's one more game, two more games, three more games, who knows what we're getting.
0: So we got a fork in the road moment on this podcast. Uh, we're right. we're in the Zoom chat room, myself, you, and Hithloday from Addicted to Quack. We're waiting on QB eleven. Do you want to just start with Hith right now, or do you want to go over some of the, the fan questions that you got on Scoop Duck this week?
2: No, let's roll with Hith. There's no reason to keep him. I actually just got a notification from QB he got stuck uh in a work meeting and oh, he's no. he's not sure that he'll make it. So okay. uh and those things those things happen, but we are lucky to be joined by Hith and uh, it won't be our true roundtable that we've had, but those things come up. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and head for that fork.
0: Okay. He writes incredible, and I, and I really mean this, incredible. It's a really entertaining read. I learn a ton from these. Incredible film reviews at AddictedToQuack.com every week. He's Hitler Day. He joins us right now, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Uh, my friend... The theme of the week is panic. The Ducks have lost two in a row. They got Washington coming up. This is a must-win game. Uh, Justin and I shared our thoughts on the panic and and on just the the expectations this week for Oregon. How are you feeling about Oregon?
1: You know, it is going to sound a little weird, uh, but as a film reviewer, you know, the 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 scoreboard is a lot less important to me than the fundamental strength of the team, you know, uh, what their efficiency rates are. And, you know, Oregon played better against Cal in a loss than they played against UCLA in a win. You know, I, I actually look at this program, you know, those actually pretty encouraging game in terms of they fixed their by far their biggest problem, which was their rush defense. Uh, You know, the, uh, at least, you know, it's only been one game we'll have to see, but, but uh, it, it sort of looks like they're at where they should have been in terms of tackling. Um, they annihilated Cal's passing game. Uh, you know, I, and they're doing that defensively when they're missing a bunch of dudes, right. You know, I, I don't believe that I saw Nick Pickett or Adrian Jackson, uh, um, uh, you know they were having to play. You know due to some injuries or I'm not sure what. Drew Mathis wasn't playing, so they were playing a you know Nate Heyukilani and Nick Weeby at inside linebacker at points. Um, and like you know I was really worried about the defense, and the defense played pretty well. Um, the 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 you know and in terms of the rushing offense you know Oregon did what pretty much I expected them to against Cal uh you know their run game is pretty strong and they're about to go up against a team whose rush defense is uh, really weak um you know I think this is actually a matchup that that uh Oregon you know looks pretty good at you know it was uh Tyler Shack's worst game in Oregon uniform game 5 for him as as a young quarterback, um, and, you know, in an RPO based offense, uh, you know, the entire offense goes through his decision-making process. And so if he's a little off, you know, it, it has, you know, enormous, you know, implications, uh, he's still the best quarterback in the Pac-12 and there's not even really any doubt about that. Like, you know, any sort of statistical look at him, advanced stats, passer rating, anything like he's an excellent quarterback. You know, he made about five different read errors of the course of this game. They came at really inopportune moments um, and those sort of magnify things. But, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing where like, you know, uh, you know, slap yourself in the face, wake up a little bit, stop making bad decisions. and, And all of a sudden and, you know you're you're back on track. You know it's not something that really you know worries me. Th- things that worry me are stuff like injuries to the quarterback or you know reason to believe that a dude is a bust. And you know I don't see any uh, uh, of that sort of stuff at all. You know I see a young quarterback making mistakes, which everybody should have, and some of us at least did expect.
2: Have you been able to kind of maybe? And I know this is something probably more off-season based, but have you been able to kind of chart a little bit? uh, Tyler Shuck's success versus Justin Herbert's success as a, as a freshman in his first year, or is that, is, is that not anything you've had time to take a look at just yet?
1: Uh, I have, and actually it's a fairly good comparison because, you know, uh, Justin Herbert had to come in, in the middle of the season in 2016, as you recall. Um, you know, he didn't, unlike a lot of other Oregon quarterbacks, uh, who you know got to start out their careers as starters with like three cupcake non-cons both justin herbert and tyler shuck had to get thrown in the fire right like their first game you know uh, justin herbert's first game was against washington in the season when they went to the playoffs you know and and uh, tyler shuck has to start off in a pandemic year against stanford uh and then uh, trip to pullman which no one uh, enjoys uh and, and, and so, you know, a, a UCLA team, which against all odds turns out to be a resurgent an Oregon State team, which I've been trying to tell everybody for the last two years that Jonathan Smith's the best coach in the Pac-12 and and, and, and Justin Wilcox is not far behind either. Like, you know, they, so they both got thrown in the fire and it's appropriate comparison. Uh, Tyler Shuck is has been on a, an efficiency basis, you know, a better quarterback. He's he, he doesn't quite have Justin Herbert's arm, but that's because no one on planet Earth has Justin Herbert's arm. I mean, my God. Like that was inevitable. Um, you know, other than that, uh, his, you know, consistent decision-making his ability to run the ball, uh, both in designed reads and in scrambles, uh, and his ability to, you know, uh, um, his willingness to hit the uh, receiver who is breaking open before he is open. That is is his anticipation. All of these things are better than Justin Herbert's. Now will you know, by the end, if, if Tyler Shuck is a four year starter for Oregon, the way that Justin Herbert is, how will, you know, how will Tyler Shuck be in 2023 compared to how Justin Herbert was in 2019? I I don't know that I can answer that question, but right now, Tyler Shuck's had a little bit better start. You know, fans tend to forget all their favorite quarterbacks go through through this you know I put out a tweet this morning that was looking at you know Oregon's 10 quarterbacks over the last 20 years who were full-time starters and with their first five games uh were like they all turn the ball over they all make mistakes like that's what a young quarterback does it's you know it's inevitable be thankful uh my attitude for myself anyway it's not my job telling anybody how to feel but for myself I am thankful that uh it's happening in a year that doesn't really count and sets them up to have you know future success
0: so you're optimistic about shuck are you as optimistic about coach moorhead calling plays
1: oh absolutely uh it's definitely uh well i'll put it this way i'm a film reviewer i am you know paid to watch this film not very much but uh and, and it's certainly fun to watch so i'm happy that i get to see it um it is i guess i'll put it this way uh the main difference with the offense, I don't, it obviously the scheme is quite different. It puts more into the quarterback's lap uh, in terms of making reads. And as we saw against Cal, that means if your quarterback's having a bad day, then it can make the offense look real bad Um, more so than, you know, in other systems where, you know, the, the run game is sort of independent, you know, that's the thing, but the RPO sort of means that your pass game and your run game are really intertwined. And in previous offenses, particularly the one that Oregon had over the last two, years with a really dominant offensive line and efficiency running backs was like, you know, if the quarterback's not feeling it today, you know, just run the ball they'll get five yards of carry over and over and over again. And I know that Oregon fans were like sometimes bored to tears by this or bored to, to rage and frustration and throwing their pants out the window. But like, boy, I'll tell you wouldn't you love to see a five yard run every single time at this point? Isn't there a sort of comfort that you miss uh, in that knowledge, uh, you know, at this point, like that, that's the, that's the part of the game where I, uh, you know, I think Washington presents a big opportunity because their rush defense has been really suspect. And that's how both Utah and Stanford really had them on the ropes. Uh, you know, it was just like, no, I'll, because Washington's defense is structured where they have those two super high safeties. Right. And what they're telling you is like, fine, you know, do the underneath stuff. run run your ball for five yards you know you're not going to beat us over the top and we're going to force you to take a 10 play drive march down the field Stanford Utah said okay I'll do that and that's you asked me about Joe Moorhead and I'm finally going to answer your question which is I am eager to see how he approaches the Washington game because if he takes them up on that deal and just runs the ball where he's got an advantage then that's a guy who's got a um, a very flexible mentality, everything that I've ever seen about Joe Moorhead, all the film study I did 11 years with him, that off season project in January, a film study on the guy tells me he's extremely adaptable. And if he says, nah, we're just going to run the ball over and over again, because that's what Washington has shown they're vulnerable to. And that's where we have an advantage. And, you know, we don't have to put all this pressure on our young quarterback to make the perfect read every single time. Like, yeah, that's when I'll be real excited about Moorhead.
2: So this season, Oregon's three and two, and I know fans are not happy with that. You know, five and is the mark, and I get it. Um, yeah, you, you seem to be a, a fairly level-headed individual and not too emotionally attached uh, to outcomes. H- how are you feeling about this Oregon team, given the the three and two mark, the two game skid, and just kind of where where things are at in this weird year overall?
1: Well, I said this before, and, and again, I will acknowledge this makes me the weirdest person, the weirdest football fan in the universe. <laughs> I accepted that uh, long ago, but like, but I, I, you know, maybe other people will join me in this mindset uh, um, in this weird pandemic year. I, you know, my view from the get go has been like, this is all preseason this is all warm up for 2021 especially in the pack 12 where there were far more restrictions on the off season and their practice time their ability to work out and do installs and you know contact with the kids and so forth that like in and you can see it across the league man like that's the other thing i can tell you from doing all the film study of all these other programs in the pack 12 is like you change out the laundry every team looks like oregon every team has can't tackle worth a damn every team has quarterbacks that are making that are misreading the field every team has uh miscommunication problems with the wide receivers because they're not you know they haven't built the relationship yet uh you know every team that's installing a new scheme has you know bumps in the road like you know none of these things are unique to oregon what is Not unique to Oregon, but which Oregon is doing, I think, more than a lot of other teams in the league is leaning into it and saying, fine, this is this is uh, an opportunity to get a bunch of film on young players on, you know, different schemes. Oregon was playing out of dime package on virtually every third down uh, against Cal uh, on Saturday, like. There's there aren't teams in the league that are actually that's not true. Washington is switching up. But they've always switched up to a dime package. And that's, that's part of their DNA. Oregon, it wasn't part of their DNA. They decided to try something new um, to get film on it, you know, to, to get some experience. They're playing you know, at this point I would call on the defensive line, Christian Williams and Keon Ware Hudson and Brandon dorless like co-starters or like starters for a different personnel formation. I'm not trying to say that Jordan Scott and, and, um, and, uh, Austin value are not the starters anymore. I'm saying that Oregon has multiple different fronts and in a particular front that they want to present, which they do maybe a third of the time that the, that, that, you know, Williams and Ware Hudson and dorless are the starters in that package. Um, and uh, it just like you know uh, they have a, a pass rush dime a pass rush variant of the dime package in which you know little brother Andrew Value and, and Adrian Jackson who I didn't see on against Callen I'm not sure what the score is there but like they have they have so many different packages that they're trying out. They wouldn't have been able to do that if they were seriously making it to the national title push in 2020, if this were a regular year. This is an opportunity. They've been taking advantage of it to, to learn some things about kids. Isn't everybody happier that the offensive line, which they had to replace everybody on, uh, like they were definitely going to lose Panay Sewell after 2020. Like even if we had a normal 2020, right, Panay Sewell would not have stuck around to 2021, right? 2021, they would have to live with a line without Panay Sewell. Isn't everybody happier to get a bunch of games with experience? experience of a new offensive line which they get a lot more time to gel and they can hit the ground running you know in 2021 uh you know and and sort of sort out some of these answers these you know questions about who's good at what and who can call out protections and who's a good interior guard and who's not like this is you know if you view it the right way all of this has been you know just just you know wonderful data to be able to get and i can tell you from watching other teams most Many of them are not doing that to the full hilt. Many of them have their backs up against the wall and are in win now mode. You know, uh, Wilcox was down three games. He's in win, win now mode. He wasn't playing freshman. You know, uh, Kevin Sumlin is in win now mode, right? J- uh, Jonathan Smith, well, I think Jonathan Smith's always going to be fine. But there was a bunch of examples around the league where, like, they can't afford experimentation the way that Oregon can. So uh, if I have a message to fans, it would be there's a silver lining to all of this. You know, better, better to take your lumps now.
0: Uh, that's the second time I've heard you praise Jonathan Smith. Let's talk about the team that he used to work with—the team the Ducks are playing this week. If you were, and they game- sure
1: miss Jonathan Smith. Yeah,
0: yeah. If, <laughs> if you were
1: game planning to beat the Huskies, what does that scheme look like? Um. Okay. So, uh, matchup advantages. Um, Oregon should have a, a decided efficiency advantage when Oregon is running the ball against Washington's rush defense. Oregon is consistently above 60% efficiency in every single game. They've never been underwater uh, this year. And Washington is consistently underwater. Um, now, I, I should put an asterisk there. I, I don't chart garbage time, and so I'm only ca- counting the first half against Arizona because the entire second half against Arizona for Washington was garbage time. If you watch that game, you know why. Um, so, and that's the other thing is Washington, therefore, only has 3.5 you know games. Oregon has five. Uh, It's a bit of an advantage. Um, So anyway, Oregon has consistently demonstrated a a rush superiority. Washington has consistently uh, demonstrated a rush defense inferiority. Um, The other advantage that Oregon has is is when Washington is throwing the ball, Oregon's uh, pass defense has been consistently uh, above water, uh, sometimes, you know, excellent above water um they are getting healthier at safety which is sort of their vulnerability you know they got steve stevens back i trust that they will get nick pickett back i'm not sure why he was absent in cal um and uh and on the other hand uh, washington's quarterback um i mean he's got to look up to see jake browning's arm strength i mean my stars uh dylan morris just cannot put the ball with accuracy down the field more than about 15 yards and he's just utterly dependent on kate otten and puka nakua i'm not sure what Pook Puka Nakua's status is K and Stanford figured out that you can just bracket uh, Kate Otten and, and that's it. they you know their passing game is done. So the other uh, two quadrants are, are murkier to figure out. Um, uh, Washington has had some decent run performances. They've also had some terrible when they are on offense. I mean, they've also had some really lousy rush offense performances, like against Utah. Uh, Oregon's sort of been the same way on defense. They've had some good performances. They've had some bad performances. It's not like either team has been consistently mediocre. You know what I mean? Like instead, it's been hot and cold. You know, and so I can't predict. You know, which of those teams is going to show up? You know, either way, I think that question will determine the game. Uh, will help determine the game that you know how well Washington. And is able to run the ball against Oregon. The other question that's going to determine the game is the one that's you know very fraught, I suppose, right now, which is how well Oregon's passing attack will, will go against Washington's pass defense. Well, uh, Washington has a pretty good pass defense on one side of the field, uh, where wherever Trent McDuffie is lining up, they are vulnerable on the other side of. the the field and uh and that was something that you saw against cal as well where you know wherever cam bynum uh lined up don't throw there uh but wherever anusium or whomever was playing on the other side of the field lined up like go ahead you know attack that side and uh you know oregon had pretty mixed results at figuring that out you know will they learn their lesson and attack washington where it's vulnerable through the air uh remains to be seen um but washington's uh, pass defense has not been a juggernaut this year uh it's definitely been beatable um by good quarterbacks uh you know, uh, QB 11 and I have sort of been going back and forth for a little bit on Davis Mills, you know, his potential versus his actual performance. Uh, And, you know, look like QB had the better side of that argument on Saturday because, uh, uh, you know, Davis Mills is really playing up to his potential and he just picked Washington apart through the air. So we shall have to see whether Shuck can do the same thing. Uh, If he does, I think it'll be a real long day for Washington
2: uh you know wrapping up here hith i know you got other things to do but what what are the uh just off top of your head what are the what are the two or three things that are kind of your keys for the ducks this week if they want to pull out the dub um against washington what are the what are the couple things that they really need to do well in order to put themselves in a position to win
1: uh i think they got to run the ball i think they got to stop the run and uh, i think they got to uh figure out what Washington's got in terms of its passing attack uh, because that's been a fluid situation for Washington and Oregon has not handled surprises real well. Oregon's best performances are when they can, you know, they've got a big brain trust there and when they can focus on a predictable opponent, they do real well when they change up their quarterback or, you know, suddenly have dudes out that they weren't expecting or, you know, otherwise have to deal with a fluid situation. They've, you know, kind of getting knocked off their blocks. Uh, and so, you know, we don't know what washington is going to show up with so a quick adaptation to whatever uh washington shows up with is going to be essential uh but beyond that the same thing that determines every football game that's ever been played in the history of the game which is you got to run you got to stop the run
2: Sounds simple to me. Hopefully, uh, I you know I, hopefully the Oregon uh, defense can can answer the call because, like you said, they did really well against the run against Cal this past week, which to me shows a tremendous amount of improvement from what we've seen for the earlier from the earlier games this year. Uh, so, uh, and that's the one thing to me that's kind of interesting is just you know wrapping, you know just kind of wrapping my head around Oregon's uh, identity on offense. You know, it's kind of hard to to kind of put your finger on it. You know, are they, a, are they a run first team? Are they a spread team? Are they, you know what I mean? I, I is there, is that something that you've kind of charted it all or taken a look at?
1: Well, it, that is by design, Justin, the, in RPO offense by its very nature is a chameleon is an amoeba. You know, it, it does what the defense dictates. It does and does, you know, what will, will make the defense most wrong. Uh, so it's not surprising to me that that you're having a hard time you know figuring out its identity it, it deliberately rejects the notion of identity um they i, I can tell you that from an efficiency basis Oregon has been better uh, uh, um Uh, running the ball than throwing the ball. On the other hand, they're getting some very like enormous explosive plays out of the passing game, which is kind of what you like when you look about football. You have a nice, you know, comfy, you know, uh, blanket of uh, efficiency running game. And then just when the defense is getting lulled to sleep by it, bam, over the top.
2: Perfect. No, I love it. So, uh, you know, I guess to wrap up because it's something I've seen on the boards, you know, folks saying we don't have an identity, we don't have an identity you're basically to them would say, Hey, look, that's a good thing. That means Joe Moorhead's offense is really working because that's what it's predicated on.
1: Yeah. If you don't know what Oregon's identity is, think what the defensive coordinator has to do. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's that sometimes football is just that simple. So, uh, yes, we, we really appreciate your time looking forward to hopefully catching you and, and QB next week. I know he got hung up, but, but, uh, uh, you know, having you on is terrific. Having the both of you, you on is also terrific. So, uh, hopefully, you can enjoy this week's game and uh, we can catch catch up with you again
1: next week. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure.
0: I want to point out that's Hithliday at Hithliday1 on Twitter, addictedtoquack.com. His articles always have the title duct tape. So look for the duct tape at Addicted to Quack, and it'll just blow your mind. Really insightful film breakdowns every week. Um, I love that last answer, too, because I think it hits to a fundamental of play calling. Don't you think, Justin? Identities are great, but it's better if the defense doesn't know your identity.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you think back, one of the things that probably frustrated Oregon fans the most is that last year or the last two years, Oregon hung its hat on its identity, which a byproduct of that made them predictable. We knew Oregon was going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and we knew that's what they were going to hang their hat on. Unfortunately, that meant so did the defense's. And, you know, I think one of the things that Hith said to kind of counter it is, is not only the fact that that means it's a good thing, you know, that, that the defense is also confused, but it means that Oregon's efficiency metrics are up, which is, is ultimately what you want. I, I think they're getting enough out of the run game that you have to respect it. Uh, But ultimately that has allowed them to, you know, sprinkle in those uh, wheel routes that we've seen, you know, Travis die with success or, you know, Jalen red being able to come across the middle and and pick up the, uh, pick up the easy yards with the passing game. Um, You know, being able to see Devin Williams, deep one-on-one or Johnny Johnson or whatever the case might be, you know, that's allowed those receivers to to face a lot less, you know, double coverage type looks and and be able to manipulate those matchups. So, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been impressed with the offense. I, you know, they they were not the reason Oregon lost against uh, Oregon State. They clearly weren't the same against Cal, and, and, and I think that was almost a, a full team effort on offense. I think mm-hmm. they they just weren't able to get into a rhythm, you know, quite the way they had been doing. Uh, you know, Tyler Shuck definitely had a tough game. I'm not going to you know say that, but he's been pretty good overall you know, the receivers had some drops and obviously Johnny Johnson had the unfortunate fumble, which is, you know, quite uncharacteristic of him. You know, it was just kind of a perfect storm of really bad stuff that happened to Oregon offensively. But the encouraging part was we'd seen the, the defense not playing well, you know, the, the weeks prior and they, and they really answered the call. They had Oregon uh, in a, in a, you know, in a position to win that football game late uh, because of the way they played. So, uh, you know, again, if we're just going to take a look at this whole season as a whole, I think you're pretty optimistic about where things are right now and, and how they're progressing. But, uh, you know, I know fans that live week to week or, you know, for that matter, quarter to quarter, you know, you're upset with how the game finished and the fact that Oregon's got two losses on the season. But again, big picture, think of all these young guys that are getting, Tons of meaningful reps for next season, which I think is when it's 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 really going to take the next step.
0: Yeah, we we have a couple of of big picture questions that I liked on the boards. Uh, do you want to get to some of these questions?
2: Yeah, let's, let's let's dig into some. I know there's some great questions. We won't get to them all, but it'll be great to um, you know it'd be great to answer a few of those questions for sure.
0: Okay, so Mark J. Weber asks: Does the performance of the team to date? Lessen the amount of movement on the coaching staff, or or do you believe the performance will dictate a, a change in position coaches or two? That's from Mark J. Weber. Sure, it's a great
2: question. It really is. Um, you know, I I, I that's a uh, there's a lot of areas to go into with that one. I think first of all, uh, I think that we're being oversold on the amount of coaching turnover there's going to be this year everywhere because frankly, everybody's had to go back on their budgets, you know, no fans and, 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 and no, no popcorn or beer sold at the stadiums. And a lot less money has been generated for these programs this year. Uh, you know, some of these schools, you know, benefit from the, you know, from the big bowl game or a decent bowl game and the money that you receive from those. And, you know, a lot of that's in question as well. So I think there'll be less coaching turnover as a whole this year. Um, but, maybe more direct to your question. Yeah, I mean, I think a guy like Andy Avalos was a budding star. And frankly, the defense has been a mixed bag this year. And maybe I'm putting it nicely there, but it's been a mixed bag. And, and and maybe his star isn't shining quite as bright. I don't believe he's forgotten how to coach defense. And I don't believe that he's anybody that won't end up getting a head coaching job somewhere in the future. But yeah, maybe that's parlayed at another year or two, potentially. Uh, you know, I, I really had a tough time believing Joe Moorhead was a one and done guy. I kind of felt like, you know, Oregon fans should should you'll get him for one, probably get him for two. Anything after that's gravy. You know, I don't know that it's changed much there, um, you know, in terms of, of Joe Moorhead. But I think he's, again, a future candidate uh, at a decent head coaching job somewhere. But if not as many jobs open up this year, you know, there won't be as much turnover from Oregon. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably stalled it a little bit. And, and, and that is a really, really good thing for the Ducks moving forward.
0: Uh, Another question, GoDucks2598 asks out of the incoming class 2021, who has a good chance of contributing?
2: Uh, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a tough question only from the fact that we don't know who's going to leave, you know, because ultimately you've got guys, let's just use, for example, Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson, uh, you know, can come back next year if they choose to this year is basically a throwaway and doesn't count, but I'll just rattle off a couple names, you know, that I think will, will have an impact. I think you're, you're absolutely kidding yourself if you don't think one of Maliki Mataval or Terrence Ferguson at tight end doesn't come in and play next year. Doesn't mean they start, but it does mean that they contribute. I think those are a couple of guys that you Im- immediately look at. Uh, you got to go with Oregon's top-rated commit, Troy Franklin. That guy's not coming in to, to to you know sit on the bench. I think that's a guy that more than likely ends up in the rotation somehow you know again i i mentioned Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red do they come back or do they not there's a couple spots that open up potentially you know depending on what they do so i think Troy Franklin's the next guy i think it's pretty clear that Oregon needs uh, help and depth both on the offensive line and and you've signed a tremendous class Bram Walden's going to come in as the most polished ready to play guy in this group right now and i think that's the guy that's really probably going to be at uh, worst case in the two deep when, when when Mario Cristobal puts that first one out next fall, you know, a guy like Kingsley Sumataya, you know, uh, you know, can he get there I know people compare him to Panay Sewell, which is really lofty. I mean, that's like just really lofty. But again, if he could come in and be about half of what Panay Sewell was, you're talking about a guy that's in the too deep at worst. So, you know, those are probably the guys. If Jalon Red goes, you know, I really like what Seven McGee brings to the table just in terms of being dynamic. That's a guy that can you can line up at running back. It's mm-hmm. a guy you can put out in the slot. You can move him around a lot of different ways. So his value isn't strictly at running back. That's just one of those guys where you're like, we got to get him on the field and get him the football in space. And I think that that's something, you know, Joe Moorhead will look to utilize as well.
0: Um, we talked earlier about a transition at quarterback, transition at left tackle, transition in the secondary as guys move on to the NFL and get replaced by younger guys in the system. Uh, if I think of that transition with this question Derm Duck asks, who might be starting to fill out the leadership void?
2: Uh, it's a good question, and it's, it's a much needed question that's going to need an answer and i'm I am f- fully confident that that's something Mario Cristobal is going to put an emphasis on uh, in the off season you know you're going to get through this season, you know if it's one, two, three games, whatever the case might be left, you'll get through it and really, you know that's something that'll develop when you're able to do a proper winter conditioning, a proper spring football, a proper summer camp, because what happens more so in the winter and summer conditioning is you've got a group of guys that basically say, Hey, look, y'all get your butt out here. I know it's voluntary, but it's not voluntary. You guys get your butt out here and we're going to work out and we're going to do this and that in terms of, of who might fill that. I mean, I think you got to look at a Noah Sewell, you know, for example, right away. Uh, I think you've got to get, uh, some of your offensive line guys, uh, you know, in that role, and getting guys out there. I think you really need to start getting like a Habibi Licchio and some of your other veteran running backs to try and lead some of those groups. I think that's a role that Verone McKinley is going to continue to grow into. I'm not sure that he's there yet, but I think he continues to grow into it. So um, again, here's the thing, you know, they're, they're, is tons of success and failure. And what I mean by that is this team's taking its lumps this year. And some of these guys that are that are hungry and driven are gonna say, screw that, I'm not losing more football games. I don't like how that feels. And ultimately you're gonna basically identify who those guys are and really get them to challenge the rest of the team. Uh, you know, again, I, I think a Justin Flo, had he not been hurt this year, maybe he's a guy that starts to develop that as well. Um, there will be some guys and I'm sure that Mario Cristobal will really emphasize that when he can have retreats, when he can meet with his players one-on-one more and and do these other things. But given the fact that there's just has to be, and is so much isolation among the team, among the team and among the groups this year, it's just really hard to do.
0: Yeah. Um, there were a ton of really good questions. Uh, I, I gotta tip my cap to guys like pass the dip who, who wrote a ton of really insightful stuff. We used a couple of those for our interview with Hithleday a little bit earlier. I, I feel good on those questions though. Like I, I don't want to oh. go too far in the weeds cause a lot of it is just back on the cow game. Um, but I, I feel like we, we did a good job on those questions.
2: Well, and we're over Cal, you know what I mean? It's the day we turn the page. It's hate week. You know what I mean? It's 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 get prepared for the Huskies. You know, it's a tough loss. You know, nobody takes it easily. Um, You know, I wonder how much easily folks would have taken it if it wasn't a back-to-back loss, you know what I mean? Like, you know, right. say Oregon lost the first or second game, and here they lost the fifth game. Right. Uh, it stings. It stings. There's two games in a row you've lost, and, and you probably felt like you should have won, and I agree. And I, and when I say you, I mean fans. And then coupled with that, Oregon lost two commits in that same week. So it's, it's been a tough week. I don't fault fans for being a little bit emotional about it. But, you know, again, when you can, take a step back, look at big picture, and realize that I think, I, I think this team – in terms of a big picture, is on the right trajectory.
0: Hey, you mentioned that recruiting headline. I I can't believe I didn't ask you this question yesterday. But we shouldn't be freaking out about Ky- Kyron Hudson, right?
2: No, I I mean, uh, here's what happened. Okay, we'll say Kyron Ware Hudson, Jadarius Perkins. All right, let's just take it at, at face value. Right now, it would appear you know Kyron Ware Hudson did uh, you know immediately declare he was going to USC. And Jadarius Perkins, a lot of folks think he's going to go to Mississippi State. Well, he's from the state of Mississippi. You've got two players that elected to play closer to home uh, in a COVID year. And that doesn't lighten the sting, uh, but that's just reality. I mean, you peel this thing back and, uh, you know, that that's just the reality of how that played out. And I think we're going to see that exact scenario play out uh, in the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be an, uh, important for Oregon you know, to try and retain the rest of the, of the, of the guys they have committed. Um, and let's be frank. I mean, uh, I like Kyron Wareheadson. I think he's a good player and I hope he has a, a good career at USC, but if Oregon could lose somebody at wide receiver, he was probably the guy that you would pick first, maybe him or maybe Isaiah Brevard. You don't want to lose Dante Thornton or Troy Franklin. Uh, those are the two big dogs. And Frankly, you didn't really need to sign four receivers in this class, and so now you could take that and maybe allocate that particular scholarship to a safety or an offensive guard or a cornerback or somewhere where I do think Oregon has a more pressing need. So, you know, ultimately that's that that will work itself out. Again, no sour grapes, but I do think that it does have a plus side for Oregon. And as far as Jadarius Perkins is concerned, you know, you, you're looking at a, a six-two corner and those don't grow on trees. That's great. He's really raw. Um, even though he's a junior college player, I still think that fans were expecting him to come in and, and start or compete for a starting job at corner next year at Oregon because he was a juco. If you go look at his film, he's fairly raw even as a juco. So it was a pretty tall order to expect him to come in uh, and play right away next year. He totally could have, but he would have had to have some, some pretty strong development throughout the course of the spring and, and the summer and the right. fall uh you can certainly find a guy in the transfer portal at some point doesn't have to be today i think there's going to be a lot of activity in the transfer portal over the next 4 to 6 weeks i think if oregon plays it right they're going to find themselves a, a corner that's probably a little bit more ready made to come in and play right away next year and also allows you flexibility to continue to recruit that corner position in the 2022 class uh as well
0: you know that's an interesting point too I, i'm i'm not nearly the expert that you are but I, I can't remember, it's year three for Coach Cristobal, I can't remember him ever giving a Juco player the green light to start right out of the gate, can you? Uh, just an
2: offensive line, you know, I think he's identified a couple guys, you know, Sala Amave, who's obviously starting this year, this is not his first year, but he is starting this year. Uh, and then TJ Bass, whom they did sign as part of the 2020 class, came in and, and is starting on that offensive line.
0: Okay, you're right. Uh,
2: it, but uh, to your point, and you know, with even with TJ Bass and, and Sala, you know, uh, you know, that was more of you know how much of that was a need versus how much they were ready. I mean, they don't seem to be playing poorly by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, you went and you had a you had a quite a big group. Here's the problem for Mario Cristobal, and I'm, I'm going into the weeds a little. You came in and you had a, a, a pretty uh, deep group of like, I want to, I want to say mid career guys on the offensive line at Oregon. What I be, mean by mid career is red shirt sophomores, you know, red shirt juniors, uh, you know, red shirt freshmen guys that are in their second, third, fourth year, and ultimately he developed all those guys over the over the next two years. You know, and, and we're talking about that that you know, the Jake Hansons, the Calvin Throckmorton, Shane Lemieux, all those guys that left last year. That was a great group. You had all those five guys, and then you and, and you also had another two or three guys behind him. Uh, you know, you brought in Panay Sewell and he was an instant, you know, playmaker there. The problem is no matter how you slice it, you can only have 85 guys on your, on your, on your roster, right? 85 scholarship players. You, you, if you, if you're counting those guys and you count, you know, Oregon had 10, 12 offensive linemen scholarship for two or three years there, which makes it really hard in that same two or three years to sign a bunch of offensive linemen, even though you get to this year and you need them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, that's where those roster management things come into play. I'm not, I'm not defending, Mario Ball to the death, but it became a really difficult situation because of how re- Oregon had recruited two to three years prior to his arrival, you know, under the Mark Helfrich years. And it's something that I've alluded to on the boards with Clay Helton right now. He's looking at potentially signing 11, 12, whatever defensive backs in this 2021 class. Half of your class is in one position group. Okay. As much as that bumps your recruiting ranking and looks good on paper and it's going to make Dante Williams looks like the, look like the saver of USC. That's a freaking problem down the line. You cannot roster that many quarterbacks. Who's going to play defensive tackle for you? Who's going to play offensive tackle for you? Who's going to play running back? Uh, you know, he's giving that program some of the same issues that Mario Cristobal is working through now because of previous regimes, you know, basically, Oh, you know, this guy wants to come, let's take him. You know, well, coach, we don't need a fifth wide receiver. I don't care. He's a four-star. Let's take him. You know, and I'm not saying that that's something that Mark Helfrich did. But, again, you kind of get my point. Um, it's important to continue to maintain a healthy roster. And in two or three years, you know, Mario Cristobal's done a remarkable job. But right now he's getting caught. He's getting caught with some, with some, you know, with some with some tough issues at safety, with some tough issues at offensive line. You had Panay Sewell opt out, which kills you even worse. You had Brady Breeze and Javon Holland opt out, which makes that room, you know, a lot worse. Uh, You you know, you're trying to survive all those things in quite possibly the weirdest year of college football ever. And uh, I trust him that he'll be able to fix it, but he needs time. He needs an offseason. He needs time. He needs a regular spring. He needs a regular summer, needs a regular fall camp to be able to rectify some of these issues and he didn't get it. And I think Day made a great point. Being really young in a COVID year is, is two extremes. Okay. So, you know, Cal, uh, USC, Wazoo, some of these other guys are, are able to maintain a certain level of football because you're playing with, you know, third, fourth, fifth year guys. And at the end of the day, football is football. Okay. Those guys have had three, four, five years to develop, and are at a different place than a true freshman like Noah Sewell, or even a guy like cave on Thibodeau, who's basically in a second year, but really only had one year, you know, to develop, to, to work out, to do all those things that he, he would do normally. So, um, I, I think you're seeing the youth exponentially, you know, blown out of the water because of the way this year worked out for the last eight months. And I, I think, you know, Mario Cristobal is trying to make lemonade out of lemons.
0: Yeah. Well, lemonade out of lemons that'll be the takeaway from uh, that part of the conversation I feel like we're doing a good job talking about every angle here uh, want to take a break talk five games
2: yeah run through five games real quick and and uh, you know maybe maybe just a touch of hoops as well
0: oh yeah yeah gotta talk hoops but first five games we think you should watch Okay, I've got my five written down. How about you? Are you ready? I I do. I wasn't super excited about the, all five, but
2: I got five. Okay. <laughs> all
0: right. Kind of I, a weak. So I'm gonna guess Michigan, Ohio State. Is that the one yeah. you're not excited about?
2: I'm not. Well, I mean, I think we know how that one's gonna play out. And I, I really, the only reason I wrote it down is is this Jim Harbaugh's last game at Michigan so uh, I think Ohio State no matter how many players they have are going to absolutely destroy Michigan um and and I just I think that's the end of the Harbaugh era that one's at nine o'clock on Fox
0: yeah I have that game too I'm curious if you are hiring the successor to Harbaugh at Michigan what are you looking for Uh, You
2: know, you you obviously got to appreciate the tradition. You've got to appreciate the conference. You've got to recognize that you've got some really good football teams in that conference. You've got Ohio State. Obviously, Penn State's having a terrible year, but they're normally – pretty tough to play. You've got Minnesota that's on the come up again, another team that's got a lot of youth on its roster, a lot of turnover. I don't envy PJ Fleck there having to go through this. Wisconsin's not having the year they would like, but normally a pretty good football team. You you know you you've got to be able to navigate that. You know, I wonder about Mel Tucker at Michigan State, another another story for another time. So um, yeah, I think you really need, you know, people say, Oh, well, they'll come after Mario. Cristobal. I, you know, Michigan and Mario Cristobal don't seem like a fit. It's just, it's not his geographic footprint. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like a fit. Sure. He can do all the things that you do as a coach, but I think you really need to look a little bit more at somebody who understands the big 10. Um, you know, for me, I, I think your first call is a guy like Luke fickle at Cincinnati. I mean, that's the call, uh, in my opinion, but, uh, you know who knows they'll probably go after the next you know up and coming exciting guy to hire, but but but, but understanding that money is going to be a problem this year. You know I mean I know it's Michigan they got lots of money but still it's going to be a different situation than a normal year.
0: Okay, so I have that game too, 9 a.m. on Fox, Michigan Ohio State. I just want to see the Buckeyes and and like you said Jim Harbaugh's last game, uh, second game for me. You might have this, you might not. ESPN Plus, so it's digital only. Coastal and Troy Saturday at noon.
2: Uh, you know, I don't have that one. I got a, you know, I don't mind watching Coastal Carolina. That's a really fun offense to watch. But I got a feeling they'll walk through that one pretty easily. I mean, you know, they were able to withstand the mighty bus off BYU, so I imagine <laughs> they'll handle Troy.
0: I, I can't get over that game. Like day we were talking earlier about just how weird 2020 is. In a normal year, you might schedule a game a decade in advance, right? Like Oregon-Ohio State was scheduled years in advance. In 2020, BYU and Coastal can say, you know what? Liberty didn't want to play us this week. Do you want to play a game and and schedule it? And three days later, it's on national TV and the whole country watches. That blew me away.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's, it's definitely a big 2020 for sure.
0: Um, third game that I have Cincinnati Tulsa Saturday at one ESPN two.
2: Yeah, I, I saw that one almost wrote it down. Um, you know, that's a, a obviously a top 25 matchup, but again, I think, I think Cincinnati going to roll there. Looks like a pretty good football team overall. I mean, at least a little bit more, uh, well-rounded and consistent than BYU. But yeah, I, I didn't put that one. I put in uh, North Carolina, Miami, I just I kind of want to see that one, see the ACC, you know how that comes out. It's twelve thirty at AB on ABC, so it kind of fills a slot for me there. Mm-hmm. So that was my second game.
0: How close is Miami to being "quote unquote" back?
2: Man, I don't know. I, I just I I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I don't I don't see a great team there. I see them making a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, I, I, I and and frankly, the ACC is not very good. I mean, you know, the ACC. Uh, you know it it boasts Clemson which is obviously a terrific football team but outside of that you included Notre Dame whom I'm still not totally sold on but that's not normal for them to be in there uh and then really it's just like kind of North Carolina and Miami after that Florida State's a mess so um you know I don't know I I think Miami's taking advantage of a pretty weak conference overall in my opinion yeah
0: yeah I I I see flashes from them and I think about some of the Miami players in recent years that have gone on to the NFL that that NFL teams are just gushing about. Guys like, for say, uh, DJ Dallas on the Seahawks that Pete Carroll just drools over him every week in press conferences. Um, but I, I don't think Miami's ever going to get back to that nightmare they were for 20 years, you know?
2: Right, yeah. I agree. Uh... uh... I, I bet we got the same on the next one though Probably. is it a four thirty game yeah I got USC UCLA, yeah, yeah. four thirty ABC that's much must watch uh, you know I, I don't I don't think anybody expected UCLA to be in that game prior to the start of the season and now all of a sudden I think they might win I just I'm still not sold on USC USc's a good team, but they're definitely beatable in my opinion and i I, I think chip Kelly might be able to get it done this year
0: yeah yeah I, I think. You hit the nail on the head with UCLA. Uh, a lot of people were down on them, but I think you have to give Chip credit. He's got Dorian Thompson-Robinson playing really well. He's got a a offense that can kind of make things happen week to week and a defense that isn't letting them down as much as they were letting them down in years past. I really like this matchup on Saturday. And I'm curious, what do you think this says about Chip's potential in Westwood going forward?
2: Uh, it's interesting. I mean, the pressure's, you know, at UCLA, the pressure's never really on to win in football there. I mean, you know, they're going to expect certain a certain level of performance, but it's never going to be, you know, Rose Bowl or Bust year in and year out. You know, they, they hang their head on basketball. That's no secret. Um, they've got a lot of tradition there, so I, you know. I mean, honestly, it, it, I think Chip's going to be able to be there as long as he wants. I think the question's just going to be how long he wants to coach football at UCLA.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So, so we have that one so far. uh, Two out of four. My fifth, seven thirty, and it 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 gets back to what Hitler Day said earlier. He is a darn good football coach, Jonathan Smith. And it gets to something that QB11 pointed out on Twitter the other day. Stanford's starting QB has the potential, I think, to be the best in the conference someday. Oregon State, Stanford, 730 ESPNU. Do you have that one down? I don't. Uh, oh yeah, Stanford
2: OSU. Yeah, I got it. Yep. The only reason I I said that is because it's after my my other one. But yeah, Stanford OSU seven thirty ESPNU. That's uh that's gonna be a good game. Um, I, I you know I do think I, I, that that was gonna that one to me has the uh, you know last possession type of uh you know feel to it. But I guess we'll see. But that's gonna be a nice little uh you know nightcap after everybody's done watching the Ducks and Hus and Husky game. Uh, earlier in the day yeah
0: yeah if if you're not watching hoops
2: right if you're not watching the second duck husky game which is the five o'clock men's basketball game so yeah uh last one for me i don't know why i put it but i did but san diego state versus byu because it's seven o'clock on espn2 i just did i kind of think sdsu might hand byu at second straight loss which really will just make everybody go after byu on twitter that much more but i don't know i listed it so.
0: How how much of a missed opportunity was it to for for BYU to not schedule a Pac-12 school?
2: Well, I, you know, I mean, I I I think they could have beat Washington, frankly, or at least made it a hell of a ball game, which would have really added a lot more to their you know credit uh, than than what happened against Coastal Carolina. So. Um, you know, and and that was win or lose. There, you go. You, honestly, you put yourself in a lose lose situation playing Coastal Carolina. If you go and you beat them, everybody's gonna say it's Coastal Carolina. If you go and you lose to them, everybody's gonna say it's Coastal Carolina. So, at least with Washington, you can say you answered the call and and tried to take on a Pac-12 team. You know, if you play them close, you're gonna get some respect that way. If if you win, you're gonna get even more buzz. But uh, I I thought it was a missed opportunity, but what do I know? I'm just some guy in Medford.
0: (laughs) He's Justin Hopkins, some guy in Medford. ScoopDuck.com. Want to talk basketball for a couple of minutes? Yeah. Let's talk some basketball. Oregon men lose their opener and then i thought totally redeemed themselves on friday night i loved what i saw in that seat hall game how about you
2: yeah you know uh full disclosure i was not able to watch all of both games was able to tune in here and there uh and, and again as i've said on the podcast you know basketball will get my and probably your full attention here in about two-ish weeks or so. Right. Uh, just not quite there yet, and I know it's a weird year, but, uh, I, I, you know what, uh, to me, uh, no matter what, it's it's Dana Altman. You know, you, you have a whole new squad coming in for the most part, a lot of new pieces. You know, it's going to take some time for those guys to gel. Uh, you know, you had a little bit of weird, you know, training practice schedule this year than you would have normally had, obviously, so that might even take more time. But to see them, you know, lose toughly to Missouri and then bounce back and beat Seton Hall – understand at Seton Hall, but still, uh, you know, good job by doing that. I'll look forward to them against Eastern Washington later today at 4. More so excited for that than the Monday night football game, personally. And then, obviously, they've got uh, Florida A&M on Wednesday. And then the triple crown with Washington, uh, you know, uh, Saturday after Oregon and Washington play the football game. So, uh, I don't know, 3-0 sweep this week really probably starts to put the Ducks a little bit more into the conversation, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I, I think that is Seton Hall great this year? Is that an opponent that you are going to look back at the end of the year and say, oh, we we beat so-and-so, that's a quality win? I don't think so. But I'm never going to discredit Oregon or any school in in the first month of the year going out and playing a – major conference school that's a big east school so to me that's that's a quality w no matter what and then i look at how they did it and over the years if there's one knock i think we could say about dana altman teams it's that they tend to struggle in the half court um they they might score a lot they might win games with some big runs on offense but they're scoring a lot in transition, where their defense is kind of sparking the offense. Turnover leads to a fast break. Fast break leads to an easy bucket. I didn't see that on Friday. I saw a team that for for the first time in years under Oregon's uh, system with Dana Altman. I saw a team that was really comfortable in the half court. That really encouraged me.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I I don't know if you did see the news or not for sure, but uh, you know, Frank Kepning that's going to sign early, just arrived to Oregon's campus. Uh, Was well, it's, it's Monday. You and I are recording this on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and he's enrolling. So, you know, you, you got to like, you know, of course, you're not going to see him this week. Uh, probably won't even see him next week. But, you know, get him in there, get some conditioning going, get him, you know, quarantined and tested, which is what they'll have to do to get him cleared. Uh, but that could be a real nice uh, late addition to, you know, the end of the season, the middle to the end of the season for the Ducks uh kind of that missing piece really that that big you know big presence in the middle um that's what he fills there. I don't know how ready he'll he'll be or not, but uh certainly could be a nice little spark there um yeah i'm I'm encouraged by this team, I think it's a lot more versatile uh you know than than it was last year. love me some Peyton Pritchard, but after if Pritchard was cold that that you know that team really struggled to put a, put some points up yeah. And and I think they're a lot more balanced this year, uh, even in the wake of Peyton Pritchard, who, whom I whom I love to death. Mm-hmm. I just think this is a more balanced team.
0: Yeah, uh, you talk about uh, departures. Pritchard, a massive one on the men's side. Uh, the ladies' side had had three or four players just gone. That uh, I I think if any of them had 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 stayed, any of them would have been the star in the Pac-12. So a lot of change on that side but i like what i've seen so far from a very changed Oregon women's team. Have you watched the ladies play yet this year?
2: A little bit, once again a little bit, not as much as i would like to and i i'm, I'm freaking jacked to watch them and watch this season. Uh you know with the ladies, um unfortunately i'm one man so you know devoting time between uh football recruiting and then men's and women's basketball can be a little cumbersome at this particular moment but have watched a little bit. Uh, You know, I'll just say it for everybody that's forgotten in Kelly Graves. We trust uh, every year. And, uh, you know, again, just like the men's, uh, you you know, uh, the Ducks were not, you know, dependent on Sabrina Ionescu last year. But she was definitely a key piece to their scoring, a key piece to the offense. Even if it wasn't her scoring, it was going through her. And and I do think, again, they're a little bit more balanced and a little bit more diversified. They're obviously have a little bit more length this year Mm -hmm. than they did last year. I really like how that sets them up, uh, you know, for what I will just say, potentially, uh, you know, is a tournament run later on uh, next year, next year, meaning the calendar year of 2021. You know, I I do like all of those things. I think uh, I think this is a team that I think everybody's kind of opened their eyes and said, well, they're back, and yep, they are. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I, I look at it this way. Every year in the preseason poll, you see a team that gets voted really high, and it's more about what they did last year or, or kind of the hype that they've built as a program, and it's not necessarily about the roster that they have heading into the year. And I think a lot of people looked at Oregon and said, you're that team. Of, of you might be number 8 or number 10 or, or however high you are in November, but you're not going to be there in December, January, and later to March. I think Oregon's proving a lot of people wrong with that because when I see Aaron Boley just catch fire like she does, where she'll have stretches where she just can't miss from beyond the arc, or Sedona Prince terrorize on a pick-and-roll, and she's just like like DK Metcalf coming in on a slant she's just you know humongous and fast and like a freight train running through there you can't stop her i i think this Oregon team has some pieces to really contend now number 1 Stanford that's going to be a tough task yeah they're going to lose games like you said i think they're set up for a run next year but i think this is a really fun team to watch this year
2: Yeah. It's going to be fun. They're going to go deep. And, and again, I think that's something that we've talked about that becomes a true joy with women's basketball. Traditionally, you don't get a one and out, you don't get a two and out in women's basketball, you know, so that you you show up and you get a class and you, you know, you put a squad together Mm -hmm. and ultimately the nucleus stays together for three or four years or whatever the case might be. And you get attached to them. You get to know them, you get to see them grow year after year. And that's what makes that's, a very fun part about women's basketball. So I think that that's something that Oregon fans are going to be treated to. Certainly, you know, you you lose a UNESCO and you lose a you know a, a Satu Sabali and you lose you know Ruthie Hebert and we all got attached to you know the three and the, three of them and others. But uh, there's a lot to get attached to in this group as well for the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. All right. Basketball is done. How about lock of the week? Lock of the week. <laughs> ah, ah! I'll go first. Um, The entire world has it wrong about Tyler Shuck. I agree with you guys. I think he's fine. I think that it's just a a year full of growing pains, and I think we see that growth on display on Saturday. My lock of the week, Tyler Shuck throws three touchdowns.
2: Okay. Throws three touchdowns. Yeah. Throwing. Wow, I like that. So you think Oregon's going to need to open it up a little bit in the – in the air raid offense, if you will, and, and, and attack uh, Washington that way. I think that's a good call. I actually do. I think Oregon's going to, I think Oregon's going to move the ball through the middle portion of the field, obviously out of their own 2025, wherever they start with the ball, you're going to lean on the run quite a bit there. That's how you're effectively going to keep the chains moving. But like, like you're saying, you know, you're going to need to attack the, attack them through the air a little bit. Um, and and I, I do think, you know, Washington hangs their hat on their secondary and it's a good secondary. It definitely is, but at some point they're going to creep up, you know, Oregon's going to, going to put it to them on the ground and and, going to make those safeties come up, uh, you know, going to make those corners creep up to the line, make them look in the backfield, uh, you know, at the quarterback and that will catch them. So I, I, do like that call a lot and I do agree with you, um, I'm actually going to go defense, which is what I planned on doing. So it wasn't just because you said that. So that's a good thing. Uh, but I do, I'm just, I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to say that Washington's going to throw at DeAmador Lenore and he's going to have at least one interception in this game, but a number of pass breakups being the key. I think they will elect to throw away from Mikel Wright. It certainly seems like teams have done that for the most part. The last few games, they've figured out that going at him uh and his super athleticism uh is not overly successful um, you know, most of the passings coming in on underneath routes, really affecting the linebackers and the safeties and the communication there. That's where teams are finding their success in the pass game against Oregon. But I think that Washington's going to have to try to open things up a little bit. Uh, they're going to try and, 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 send their receivers deep. And I think Lenore's going to make him pay. So I've got him notched in for a pick this, this week, uh, and a number of pass breakups. I'm just calling for a big game from him. I think we'll hear his name called a lot this Saturday.
0: Okay. Sounds good. I like Tyler Shuck. You like Didi Lenore. And I'm guessing you like Oregon to win Husky Hate Week.
2: You know, I mean it's tough. it's tough. It's you know, you go you know, and you pick the ducks the last two weeks and they and they don't win. I, I did pick them to beat Oregon State pretty handedly. I had my pick last week against Cal a lot closer. I don't remember what I said for a, for a score, but I know I kept it kind of close cause I was a little bit concerned about Oregon going on the road, Tyler Shuck going on the road, you know, ducks struggling in Berkeley. I am concerned and it's not a big concern, but I am concerned about the Huskies on the road. This is their first road game of the season for them. And I, I think that's going to impact them with a first year starter at quarterback and a lot of new pieces uh, I don't care if there's fans or not in Autzen Stadium. Traveling is traveling, and it definitely impacts a team. So I, I, I am going to side with the Ducks on this one, uh, but it's Husky-Hake Week, and I am not even remotely going to predict a
0: blowout. Okay. All right, Oregon, Washington. I wonder what your predictions are. You can tweet at us, at Bagley Sports, at SD. Let us know. And I want to thank you all for listening every week. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi is the name of the pod. You can find us on any podcast app. If you can't, please let us know. Again, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. We normally tape these on a Monday during football season. We'll aim for that next Monday. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks. I
2: can do this now.